the book of Acts has been showing us these great pictures of God's salvation. And Acts 17 is going to continue those pictures in regards to showing us a, a life and a heart that is guided by the word of God. You may remember that Jesus told a parable along those lines of a pretty famous parable that most people have heard about, a parable of a sower who goes out sowing seed and he's scattering it essentially all over the place and it's landing on all different kinds of soils. And as it lands on those different soils, Jesus expresses in that parable how that is the word of God and the various responses that come from hearing the word of God. And what is interesting is as you're here in Acts 17 and you're, you're watching Paul going into various cities and he's teaching the gospel and we're watching these various responses that the text slows down here at this moment and really wants us to think about how we hear the word of God and how we respond to it. In particular, in two cities where Paul is going to be in the first half here of, of Acts chapter 17. And as was just heard for us in Acts 17, we're told in, in verse 1 that Paul and his uh, companions, they come into Thessalonica, he does what he always does as he comes into a city, as if there is a synagogue there, he is going to go in there and he's going to teach you. Notice he stays there in, in three weekends, there are three Sabbath days, he's reasoning with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And the thing, first thing that I want you to see of this description about what Paul is doing, I think is very important, is that as he comes into the synagogue, what he is going to do is it tells us he's reasoning the scriptures. And I think that's important to see. So you might think that what Paul would do, that he would go into a synagogue, light off five miracles, and say, okay, now you're all going to listen, right? <laughs> you know, but he doesn't do that. I want you to see his, his approach is very simple and very important. He's going to explain and prove Jesus to the people by reasoning the scriptures. And that's what he goes in to do. I'm going to tell you about Jesus, and I'm going to use the scriptures as the basis. And reason these things, explain them to you, and by doing so, I'm going to show you that Jesus then is the Christ. It's very much what Paul taught Timothy to do. He said, I want you to go and I want you to preach the word. And, and this is what Paul himself is doing as he comes in to these various cities. Now, the reason why I think that is important is on a number of levels that we're going to observe in, in this text. But to think about all the things that Paul could have done as he came into the city, I already mentioned maybe he would do some miracles and then he would talk about Jesus to them, but he doesn't do that. He just opens the Word of God and reasons and explains from the Scriptures. And, and he doesn't go in and do what so many people would want to do today. You know, go in and tell some great stories. You know, get them on your side or tell them what you want to hear. Or, you know, go in there and complain about the Roman Empire and get them all on your side that way. You think about all the ways that speakers go in and try to get people on their side. 
God as their icebreaker of sorts to get them to listen and then try to carry out what they want to do. And you don't have Paul doing any of that. He's not talking about himself. He's not talking about his opinions and stories and all those kinds of things. He just reasons the scriptures. He just tells them, here's what God's word has to say. And the reason I want to zero in on that, and the reason I think that is so important, is because there, there's a time right now that we live in, a culture that we live in right now, that just simply doesn't know what God says. They've all heard what other people have said about God, but they don't know what God says. And I think it is important to see that Paul doesn't go in and just talk in generalities about some things about God, but goes right to the source. Here's what God actually said about the Messiah, about the Christ, and proved it, reasoned it, showed it to them so that they could see those very things. And the reason why I want to, to zero in on that in particular is because that has to be how we approach the Word of God and that we are so saturated with the Word of God in talking to other people about it. If we live in a time right now that doesn't know God, doesn't know what the Word of God actually says, and it is our time to come in and to use the Word of God and reason the Word of God and show them what it says. And it's difficult because we live in a time where we're far more apt to talk about opinions and all kinds of other things rather than, here's what God actually said. Here is who God is. And here is the place that you can find it. And you think about where we are in our world and where we are in our culture, that of all the more we need to be driving people to the Word of God because that is the only place where faith is going to come. People are not going to be one to God and build their faith because we talk about all kinds of other things that may be politically, culturally, or socially relevant. That's not going to win them. That's not going to draw them to Christ, and it's not going to create faith. And what is going to create faith is simply a reasoning of the Scriptures to show them, here's what God actually said. And what makes that particularly important in our text is when we get down to the business of showing people the Word of God and here's what it says, the text shows us there are, are two strong responses that are ultimately going to happen. You will notice in verse 4 it says that some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. I hope that line is somewhat surprising to you. Where is Paul preaching? For three days, three weekends. In the synagogue, many of them become followers of Paul, but did you catch the rest? And a bunch of Greeks also became a part of that. That's interesting. That a surprising response comes out. Many of the devout Greeks, they also become not a few of the leading women, many of the leading women at the time. They also become a part of that. So one of the responses that happens is this is how you persuade people. 
This is the thing that people need to hear, and this is going to be the way that we are going to persuade people, is that we can point to the Scriptures, and you might persuade people that you would never expect, because you're using the right source material. Because you're using the Word of God. The Word of God is the power of salvation. The Word of God is the only thing that can transform. It's the only thing that can change lives. We can get so caught up in the arguments of the world and the arguments of the culture and everything that is spinning on around us and think that's the point of debate and that's the point of argument when it needs to be in the scriptures. It needs to be right here in the word of God as the place of reasoning. And, and that's what Paul is doing. And notice he's persuading people. But notice the other response in verse 5 is not only is he persuading people, but in verse 5 it says, that the Jews are jealous and taking some wicked men from the rabble. They form a mob and set the city in an uproar and attack the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. Two responses. You talk the word of God to people, you're going to persuade people, or you're going to get people upset. There it is right there. And that's kind of how it's going to play out. Either people are going to listen or they're going to react in a negative reaction. And that's what you see happening here. Is you see this and go, all right, well, look, the Greeks are coming to these people that you wouldn't expect. They become a part of this. But at the same time that you have a group of people who now set the city in an uproar, verse 5, form a mob, attack the house of Jason. The implication is this is the place where Paul and his companions have been staying. They go attack his house, verse 6, and when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authority shouted, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. What a uproar. And notice what the charge is that's given as they drag Jason and drag these Christians and they put them before the city authorities. Notice what the, the big charge is. They're acting against the decrees of Caesar. Alright? How are they acting against the decrees of Caesar? Because they're saying there's another king. And that's important to see. What is causing all of us to be upset? Because what they are proclaiming is that there is another king, and that king is Jesus. I want you to stop and think about the text for a minute. Do you think that's what they were going around saying, is that we have another king, and his name is Jesus? I think so. I think so. And so, hey, here's what we have to follow. We follow Christ. We follow him. He is the one who rules over our lives. He is the one that we ultimately must obey. He is the true ruler. We must obey him. And our allegiance that belongs to him. But notice what's happening. When we have an allegiance that is to Christ alone, there is going to be collision. And we have to accept that and prepare for that and understand that. Is that a proclamation that God is the only authority, that Jesus is the one that we follow, that he is the rightful king over heaven and earth, and we submit to his rules and his authority, and only we will do what he says, that's going to cause cultural collision. And that's what's happening here. I love the phrase, they turn the world upside down. How do they turn the world upside down? 
That's what I'm saying. There's a, there's a guy who rose from the dead, and he's the king. And we've got to listen to him. There's a resurrection that's occurred, and we're going to follow him. And so we must obey God rather than people. We've got to do what he says. And this is what's causing an uproar in the city of Thessalonica. And to understand that truth, it is something that I've, I've wanted to underscore and underscore with you. I've, I've done it for years. I'm going to keep underscoring it. As we watch culture continue to turn its back on God, to not be surprised at the opposition that's going to arise as we attempt to serve God. The reactions that we see in the New Testament are going to be more common in our culture as we also proclaim Jesus is the only king and we follow him and we will only do what he says and he is the master of our lives and he's the Lord of our lives. There's going to be collision. That's going to cause problems. And to see that nothing's gone wrong, but exactly as we see here, verse 8 says, the people of the city authorities were disturbed by what they heard of these things. You have basically a bale, a bomb that is set for Jason and the rest who were arrested in verse 9, and they are let go. And meanwhile, Paul and Silas are sent away by night to Berea. And what were they doing? How were they being so counter to Caesar? Because they were reasoning the scriptures, explaining and proving that Jesus is the Son of God. Proving that he's the Christ. That's all they were doing. And that needs to be our focus. That needs to be our mentality in regards to the authority of the scriptures. That is the setup for this next paragraph. And if you've grown up in the pews, you've probably heard of these noble Bereans. And this next paragraph is really interesting because it sets a contrast to the events that have happened in Thessalonica. You don't get a big long discussion about these people. All that you're told in verse 11 is that they have a different character about them. Notice verse 11 says, they're just more noble than the people of Thessalonica. They're just different. And I want you to see how it describes them of having a more noble character. It just simply says in verse 11, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. That's the contrast. That's the declaration. And we're going to look at that in a minute, but I want you to think about what you are seeing in the character of these people who lived in Berea that was different. And what the focal point of this paragraph is all about is that just as much as Paul understood the authority of the scriptures such that everywhere he goes, he is reasoning the scriptures, explaining and proving Jesus from the scriptures, that that's what the Bereans understand also, is that the power and the importance and the authority is in the scriptures. They get that. That's what they're being contrasted with the people of Thessalonica. Is that Paul can come in there and reason the scriptures and talk about the scriptures. And they understand that that's the power and the authority of God. And that's why they're paying attention to it. Number one, notice the description that's given there in verse 11. It says that they received the word of God with eagerness. They received it with eagerness. All eagerness to be as we Jesus. I want you to just kind of think about that term and just let that settle in your mind for a moment. 
they wanted to hear the word of God. It was a deep desire of theirs to hear it. That's how they're being depicted first and foremost. They wanted to know what God said. They were eager to be in the Word of God. And I hope it would just be a moment for our own personal reflection here to consider, is that true of us? That there is just an eagerness. I want to know. I want to hear. I want to just get into it. I want to know what God says. I want to be participating in the Word of God. Last week, Sunday night, I talked about complacency. Zephaniah came across and just hit a hammer where he just said, here's your problem. You're so consumed by your schedules and your wealth and your stuff and your things that you're allowing God to go to the sidewalk. Not that you aren't worshiping God. He talks about that. You kept worshiping God. You're doing all the things. But you're not following God. You're not turning to Him. You're not listening to Him. It's the problem. And this is what I think is so great about what you see in the Bereans is that here they are, and you can have your son, but I want the Word of God, first and foremost. And they didn't allow the things of the world to interfere with that desire because that's so often what happens. You might remember as Jesus told that parable about those various soils who had received the word, that you have one of those soils that says that the, the cares of the world choke out the word. They're consumed by the world. They're consumed by the things. There's stuff and things and busy and wealth and all that. And there's not an eagerness for God. There's not an eagerness for the word. They don't want to listen. They receive it for a moment and then it's just gone. And notice how the Bereans are being set apart differently. They desire it. They want to hear it. And a lot of them push the button a little bit closer though. If you're reading this text and you're thinking about this question of, do I desire the word, like all eagerness, just like the Bereans, you say, okay, I'm questioning that. And your answer is, well, no, I don't. You're being all of us here. I don't have that kind of eagerness, that kind of burning desire. I hope you'll ask yourself another question and just wonder, what is it that's preventing you from having that desire? What is it that is interfering with that desire? What's blocking it? What's keeping that desire from happening? What's staying in the way? I think for most of us, if we're honest, it is that kind of complacency that there's just stuff and things and busy always going on. And to really consider and think about the, the Word of God in such a way in regards to its importance and our desire to have it with anything else, no chance. I don't want it. I only want the Word of God. You might remember that in the days of Isaiah, he prophesies, and the way he speaks of the people, he says, here's how you hear the Word of God. Line by line, law after law, a little this and a little that. And the way the Hebrew is written, it is very similar to how we would say in our language, it's just blah, 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 blah. It's God, Lassab, God, Lassab. That's the Hebrew. Blah, 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 blah. You just keep doing the Word of God, the Word of God, line by line, law by law, here and there, precept, blah, blah, blah. 
Because that's what the Word of God is here. It's just more rule upon rule, more line upon line, it's just blah, blah, blah. Is that the way the Word of God is to us? Is that how the Word of God has been portrayed to us? Because the prince of this world, through our prosperity, can close our hearts and close our eyes so that we don't even realize that we've lost that desire, that we don't even care for the things of God anymore, that it just becomes blah, blah, blah. And I hope you see the Bereans that they just hear Paul comes in and they just want to hear. And not only does it tell us in verse 11 that they want to hear, it says they examined the scriptures daily. Now I want you to just think about that for a minute. They wanted to, and they were in it every day. Examined the scriptures daily. They, they were living in it. They are living in the Word of God. And by the way, back then, that's the Old Testament. That's the Genesis Malachi part. They're in that every single day. They're desiring it. They're reading. They're spending their time in it. They're carefully considering it every single day. And I think one of the things that we can sometimes miss is one of the reasons we can fail to desire the Word of God, like you're reading these Koreans who have this with all eagerness, is because we don't taste it for ourselves. We don't open it for ourselves. We don't enjoy it for ourselves. It's to me the difference of me talking about a great meal. Oh, I had this really great meal and it tasted really good and it was amazing and all that. You can sit there and listen to that for a minute and you kind of go, oh, I'm not good for you. And that's completely different than you tasting the meal. There's a big difference between somebody talking about it and you tasting it for yourselves. What you see the Marines doing is the reason they desired it is they're in it every day. They're tasting it for themselves. It wasn't just somebody else talking about it. They were enjoying it. They were living in it. They were eagerly desiring it. And I promise you, there is no way to eagerly desire the Word of God and not be in it. It just can't happen. The being in it is what generates the desire. The more you're in it, the more you're tasting, the more you're seeing, the more you're appreciating, it only compounds and generates exponentially the desire all the more. So we might be sitting back and going, I just don't have that desire like I'm reading about here. And I would ask the question, is just, are you even spending any time? Because if the only time you ever get anything from the Word of God is some guy up here every 30 minutes yelling at you about it, it's a terribly boring way to go. It's like me just talking to you about the great food I had yesterday. You're not real fantastic for you, but you've got to enjoy it yourself. You've got to taste and see the Lord is good. You've got to appreciate it. You've got to get into the Word of God. What's just what the Bereans are doing? Why are they just in all eagerness wanting to listen? Because they're in it every day. They're listening to it. I want you to be impressed with one other thing about this. I want you to consider that in verse 11, what you have is the Apostle Paul coming in and reasoning the Scriptures with them, teaching them the Word of God, explaining Jesus to them. And I want you to be impressed by the fact 
that when Paul comes in and teaches, they don't step back and go, well, since the Apostle Paul taught it, that must be right. I know I have a tendency to do that. Whatever the Apostle Paul says goes. Right? He said it. I believe it. I want you to notice, it's the Apostle Paul who's teaching the Scriptures. And did you notice what they did? They didn't got into their own Word of God and double-checked what the Apostle Paul said. I think I would have the temptation to go, Apostle? <laughs> All good. I don't need anymore. But I want you to see that the reputation of the speaker was completely irrelevant. It didn't matter that he was an apostle. They went back, opened their word, and cross-checked what Paul said to see if it was so or not. That's amazing to me. They had an understanding that the scriptures were the final authority for their lives. Not even if it was impossible to say, I'm going to make sure that he's right about that. I'm going to make sure that what he is saying to about God is correct. They wanted to check it for themselves. And not only that, what you see here in verse 11 is not that it says, and they received the word of God with all eagerness, and they examined the scriptures, and they decided how they felt about what Paul said and went from there. Because <laughs> that's our world, that's our culture right now. It's okay, you say, here's what the Word of God says. Now, let's take a poll and see if we like that or not. Let's see if we're all in agreement that we like that. No, that was a little rough, Paul. We didn't really like that that much. I think it's important that so often we can choose to evaluate teaching either based on the reputation or the speaker of the speaker or if what their words are align with my politics, my values, my way of thinking, my worldview, my, my kind of value system. And if I agree, if I like what that person says, then I'll go along with it. And that's not what they do either. And we ought to remember that we don't get to decide what truth is based on if we like it or not. We don't get to do that. It's the air we breathe in our culture right now. Truth is what we like. That makes it true. And notice that's not how this works. That's not what, what you see the Apostle Paul do. It's not what you see the Bereans do. That the validity of God's word is not determined by if you like it. I don't know. I'm just going to take my random guess here. But I don't know that there is any human on earth who has ever said, I like the commands of God that he's ever said. Those are easy, totally agree, like them, just like them. I don't know that you like on the surface, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That's not really a likeable. <laughs> I don't want to do that. You kind of read that and go, whoa, hey, that man, there's got to be a loophole here or something, right? I mean, deny ourselves. Come on now. Let's not get crazy. We're not the deciders of truth, and we are not the ones to validate God's word. And so often that's what we do, is that if it is something that we agree with, then we'll listen to it. 
then we'll follow it. And if we don't agree with it, then we're not going to do it because we get to determine the truth. What makes these Bereans more noble is their desire and their understanding of the Word of God as the final authority. They search it out, they care what it says, and they're double checking Paul. The repetition speaker doesn't matter, and everybody thinks those didn't matter. What mattered is what the Word of God actually says. So let's pull this to the conclusion and get the big idea. I think two really big ideas to talk about in this is, is first of all, God is trying to show in this paragraph, which is so much about the reception of the Word of God and what Paul did, that we would always see the Word of God as our priority. That is the big thrust of what's happening in these verses, is that as followers of God, that He wants us to have the Word of God as our great priority, that that would matter so much to us. That we want to be in it, we want to learn from it, it's going to be authoritative to us, it's going to be everything to us. And so therefore we are going to reason the scriptures to the world, because they need to hear what the word of God has to say. We're not going to be saving people with our thoughts and opinions and worldviews. People are not going to come to faith with our little memes and cute little sayings. It's going to be the Word of God and reasoning the Word of God and knowing the Word of God and explaining the Word of God and showing people the Word of God. And that means if we're going to do that, we have to know it. We have to really know it. And the only way we're going to know it is if we want to know it. It really does come down to a desire. And I really do want you to think about it. If nothing else you get out of this lesson is how is your desire for God's Word? What does your desire look like? That, that would be your personal evaluation this week. If it is truly a priority to you, and if it is not, then ask yourself what has happened. So not just simply, you know, just stop it. Why? What, what has happened? What is choking out the power of God's Word in your life? I always think of it in terms of my, my guard. Have you ever noticed that you can have all kinds of weeds in your yard that's choking out your grass, but when you mow it, how great your grass looks that one day? You know, it just looks like you have the greatest lawn ever. And then in two days, there's all those little flowers, all those little weeds, and all of that. And they're choking out. Now you can keep running the mower over making it look like everything's good. You can just keep choking out. Oh, that is a mower. But ultimately it's choking out. There's something choking out your desire for God's work. You can keep just kind of mowing it over and faking it out and making it look real pretty every week. But at some point you've got to get down to brass tacks and decide, okay, I got weeds. And it's hot, and those things to pull them out, you've got to pull them out. What's choking out the Word of God? What's choking out that desire? What's keeping you from enjoying God's Word? Do we need less entertainment? Do we need less technology? Do we need less devices? What? What's blocking you? What's getting in the way? We need to be people who are examining the words of God every single day. And I'm just going to end with this, this, this thought. 
In one week, there's 168 hours. Just ask for yourself. How many does God get? 168 hours a week. You got one on the board today. Here's one. What about the other 167? Is there a desire for Him? Or the weeds, the busyness, complacency, and the wealth, and the stuff, and the life, all walking the 167. So that you're not devoted and desiring them like you want. Look at the weeds. Start pulling those things out. And give yourself to a priority to God and His work. Let's go to God for prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that we would have an assessment upon us like you assessed the people in Berea who had a noble character because they desired your word and examined them. God, I pray that that would be our character as well. Lord, I pray first that you would forgive us for when we get to our time with you. Help us to see the things that are interfering with our prayer life interfering with the time that we can be devoted to your word, interfering with the time that we can be serving you and serving others. Help us to see those things. And and give us the courage, Lord, to to remove those obstacles. And God, we pray that you would give us a desire like we see with these Bereans, that we would desire your word first and foremost above all else. And God, give us that taste. We know that your word is good. We know that your word is, is powerful. And so let it be transforming in our lives. Help us to taste your goodness and your love and your mercy so that we will spend more time devoted to you. Help us in this pursuit, Lord, and forgive us for our failures. In 